the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to Bisberg. I am your host, Kathy Emmons. Happy to have you with us today. Speaking to two gentlemen, Dr. Carl Truman and Dr. Jack Gabig. I'll introduce both the gentlemen before we get underway. Carl R. Truman is in the Department of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College, where he teaches courses on the history of religious thought. Dr. Truman has two books out that are going to be applicable to the conversation we have today, including Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution and The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism and The Road to Sexual Revolution. Jack Gabig also with us. He's the Interim Academic Dean at Trinity School for Ministry, also the director of the Doctor of Ministry program. This Half Hour is sponsored by Trinity School for Ministry. Both of you, Jack and Carl, welcome in. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be here. Okay, so Jack, I'm going to start with you uh, to just ask you to give us an outline of the event that's coming up on Monday, June 12th. Yeah, on uh, June 12th, uh, Dr. Truman is going to share on the rise uh, and triumph of the modern self on on his book. Uh, And there will be four... Uh, presentations throughout the day, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. He will also be sharing with us in chapel. Our chapel begins at 8.30 in the morning, and then we'll cross the road and have some coffee. Uh, And then two sessions in the morning, two in the afternoon, have a break. And then there's an evening public lecture, which would be more of an overview um, with some Q&A. So we're really thrilled to to get to have him with Mm -hmm. us. In fact, I was just in the UK and I mentioned to some friends of mine that you were coming and they, their eyes lit up and said, you got him? So, well, he's up the road, so we're pleased to have you. <laughs> he's, so. he's deferring to his neighbors here, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk about the man in question. Uh, let's talk to the man in question, Carl Truman. Uh, Carl, thank you so much for being here today. Excited for the way that this book has taken off. I've seen you crisscrossing the country, um, speaking at all sorts of events. You've probably been on the other side of the pond, too. Um, talk about, first off, um, the reception that the book has received and what that tells you. Yeah, well, uh, in some ways, uh, nobody was more surprised than me mm. about the, the reception of the book. I I was... My entire academic career really has been built around asking questions and researching topics that are of personal interest to myself. Uh, I'm a, I have the attention span of a squirrel. When I get bored <laughs> with things, I, I move on. And so I, I really picked up on this topic because it was touching on issues that I was interested in, curious about, wrestling with myself, particularly the issue of, of how transgenderism had so quickly become the normative orthodoxy within our society. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that was what motivated the writing of the book. When it was published in late uh, 2020, um, 
it sort of exploded. I was very, very surprised. And I think looking back on it, I realize now that the kind of question I was interested in is actually the sort of question that maybe particularly the summer of 2020 intensified uh, in the West, particularly mm-hmm. in the United States, of basic questions about anthropology, about what it mm-hmm. means to be a human being and how our understandings of what it means to be a human being shaped by the cultures in which we find ourselves. So the the reception's been overwhelmingly positive. Obviously, I don't expect certain sectors of the community to be as positive as others. Sure. But it's uh, it's been very interesting. I've spoken uh, to uh, many churches, Christian groups. I've spoken on campuses. Uh, I've spoken to the Latter-day Saints at one of their big family conferences. Uh, and this Wednesday, I've actually got a video conference with uh, president of a of a Muslim liberal arts school in the United States mm. because uh, the Muslim community, I guess, is wrestling with precisely the same sort of questions sure. uh, that uh, the more mainstream Christian and sort of Christendom kind of America is also wrestling with. So reception's been quite remarkable. I did not expect to be as busy as I have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not expect as a Reformation guy to go down in history as the person who wrote about <laughs> transgenderism. But right. uh, all of these things seem to have happened. Right. But what you've written on is much broader than transgenderism. Um, so let's try to get at the root of that at the start of our conversation here, because I think it's about questions of identity. Um, talk about how you see uh, the contemporary West um, achieving an identity, um, recognizing what they're at, naming their identity, and then contrast that with how people have done that throughout history. Yeah, well, um, maybe I'll, I'll I'll answer the question by by sort of reversing it and think about sure. the past, and then as a way of uh, of highlighting what's going on in the present. If you'd been born in my home village in Gloucestershire in the United Kingdom, uh, if you'd been born in, say, 1300, numerous things would have been true about you. Uh, You would almost certainly not have travelled very far uh, for the remainder of your life. Probably a 40-mile radius would be your entire world. Uh, You would do the same task, the same job that your father did. Uh, Work would be very integrated into the family. Almost certainly you would be Uh, an agrarian peasant of some kind. Mm -hmm. You'd be working the soil. You wouldn't be literate. Uh, You would uh, be baptized, married, and quite likely buried in the same church where, incidentally, your ancestors had also Mm -hmm. experienced those same things. And if you lived to the age of 80 and look back on your life, you would not see that very much had changed. Uh, Things would have been pretty constant, the world would have had, for want of a better term, a powerful external authority that seemed solid and secure. To ask somebody in the, the 13th, 14th century, who are you, would call forth very, very simple and straightforward answers connected to place, family, mm. um, that kind of thing. Fast forward to the uh, 21st century where we are today, when you think about us in comparison to the 13th, 14th century. Really, none of those things apply anymore. Um, The world is in a constant state of flux. Uh, You can tell from my accent that I did not grow up within a 40-mile radius of where I'm sitting in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm an immigrant to the United States. Uh, My father was a chartered accountant, the equivalent of a CPA. I teach at a liberal arts college. Uh, I was baptized at a very different church than the one I got married in. And if I'm buried in a church, it won't be the same one 
that I either got mm-hmm. baptised or, or married in. My life is a very, very fluid one. And I think what happens when we, as human beings, we lose those solid, secure, external markers of identity, well, something has to, something has to fill the void. Mm-hmm. Something has to give us our identity. And what's happened in the West over the last four or 500 years is we've turned increasingly inward and increasingly authorised our feelings to define who we are, particularly in more recent times, uh, sexualized feelings. These have become the things that define who we are. And that's a very different kind of identity mm-hmm. because that is a very individual, fragmented kind of identity compared to that which is given by a solid, unchanging external framework. So imagine me going into a uh, physician's office, let's say 100 years ago, and I say that I'm having some gender dysphoric thoughts. What would the response have been? Well, first of all, if you use that terminology, right. the doctor would have been scratching his head. Right, of course, he probably would not have heard of. He may have heard of gender. It's not quite as recent a term as some people think it is. But certainly gender dysphoric would be confusing. If you would say to him, I, you know, I think I'm a, a woman trapped in a man's body. Uh, I think what the doctor would say is, well, that's clearly problematic. There's something wrong here that it's causing very real pain and discomfort. The, it's the problem of the mind. Your body is who you are. We need to bring your mind into line with your body. If you were to go to a doctor today and pose that question, of course, you get a very different answer. Yep, it's a problem. It's a problem with the body. We need to uh, maneuver the body into a position where your feelings are comfortable uh, with it. So uh, the difference between those two scenarios is, is, is the difference between a world where the body still has some authority and a world where the body is increasingly regarded as stuff or maybe even a problem to be overcome and feelings are granted supreme authority. Mm. It's also a world where technology has enabled that to happen. Mm. One of the things that I don't really deal with in the books, but is key, I think, to understanding this change is the doctor 150 years ago could not have imagined giving any other answer because he would not have had the ability to use technology to do anything to the body that would bring it into line with the mind. Now we think we have the technology to gerrymander the body in such a way that we can change uh, the body's gender. We can bring it into conformity with a gender dysphoric mind. Our sponsor this half hour is Trinity School for Ministry. The event that we're talking about is coming up on Monday, June 12th at Trinity. It is a free public lecture Monday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. But if you'd like to attend the two lectures in the morning, the two lectures in the afternoon that Jack Gabig talked about, it's a $100 charge. You can register at tsm.edu slash pastoral. That's tsm.edu slash pastoral. I'm talking to Dr. Carl Truman, author of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, Carl, let's stick with technology then for a minute. Um, Technology at first, I remember when uh, I first got access to the Internet in my home. So that'll tell you um, about how old I am. And I remember thinking that it was just 
access. It was a way for me to get information. That's what I thought. I thought, well, isn't this great? I mean, I, like, I, if I need to know something about, uh, you know, the the history of Germany when it was di- when it when it came together as a country, uh, how it began, uh, how we ended up in World War One, like I could look that up. It has become so transformational in ways that I could never have imagined in my own life. Uh, talk about the meta version of that as you look at society and how technology's changed how we think. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the things that we we need to get hold of is is we need to understand that technology doesn't allow us to do the same things faster. Technology fundamentally changes the things we do and mm. the people we are. Uh, trying to give a simple example of this i mean again to use myself I, i'm an immigrant but hopefully in august uh, i'll be going home to see my mum. i'll spend say you know mm. fly home it'll take me less time to get home than it takes me to drive to chicago uh, i'll fly home i'll spend a week with my mum, and i'll fly back uh, uh, every week mainly because my wife now puts heat on me to do it every week. I call my mum on a Sunday. <laughs> I hear my mum's voice first thing every Sunday morning. My experience of immigration is not that of a pilgrim father. It, it's not the same thing, only faster and cleaner and more efficiently. It is an entirely different experience being an immigrant now to what it was four or 500 years ago. An uh, example I often use in lectures is music. When you think about uh, how, we, how, how we relate to music, music traditionally was always a communal thing because it had to be produced live. It brought communities together. Now uh, we all listen to music on our headphones. And what music now does, of course, is it drives us apart. I was flying back from... Uh, Dallas uh, the other day, sitting between two guys on the plane. We get on board, and to my relief, they put their headbuds, earbuds in straight, which means great, they're not going to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I can get on and read my book without being disturbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting there that, that music is separating us at that point. Yes. It's actually isolating us. So think about how technology has changed the function of music in our lives. So I think what you're pointing to, Kathy, here is we need to realize that technology isn't simply a more efficient way of doing former things. It's a way of doing new things. I mean, you, mm. if, if you're old enough to remember when the internet arrived in the house, you know, I remember dial up and it was you know, an sure. interesting phenomenon. Um, but the promise of early email was it's great. You'll get rid of your correspondence by nine fifteen in the morning and the rest of the day will be free for other things. No, Mm-mm, correspondence no. has now fundamentally changed uh, because anybody can fire off an email very, very quickly. So technology changes the world and, and in some ways changes who we mm-hmm. are as well. So you mentioned how your immigrant experience would have been different if you left at the at, in the 18th century. And you think you would have said goodbye to your mom and never saw her again, never, yeah, ta- never talked to her again. Wave goodbye to her on the... Uh, the dockside in Bristol, set sail west and never seen my homeland and never seen my loved ones again, more than likely. Right. So that has effectively changed not just how you look, not just your relationship with your mother, but how you look at what's possible for you in your life. Yeah. Yes. I mean, if somebody had said to me when, when I immigrated 22, 22 years ago, they'd said, hey, emigrate, never see mum again. Never go back home again. Leave behind. 
I would have thought longer and I mean I thought long and hard about the decision mm. anyway but I'd have thought very very long mm. and hard and probably would not have mm. moved to America at that point it would have been too high stakes again mm. immigration today is hey if it doesn't work out I can always fly back yeah sure. I can always go back home sure okay so bring that then into the context of our current uh, discussions about sexuality um, everything's possible Right. Yeah. It seems like if yeah. we're if we're unhappy, we can we can leave our current place, whether that's our physical place, our country, um, our marriage, our pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Or now our gender. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, take sex first, the whole idea of sex as, as recreation, which I think is the default understanding of sex today. Uh, that's only possible in a world where there's pretty efficient technology for preventing pregnancy. Uh, or dealing with pregnancy if it happens when it hasn't been planned for. So you're really talking about a world of contraceptives, abortion, antibiotics to keep diseases at bay, etc., etc. The idea of sex as a cheap, easy recreation depends very much on certain technologies being in place. Think about the transgender issue. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, what's interesting there is uh, the transgender issue really depends upon uh, the body being either just stuff or even a problem. Mm. Well, think about how we interact. Think about how we are interacting here. Mm. We're interacting in a disembodied way. I can see you on the screen because there's video running at the moment, but we're not sitting in a room together on either side of the table mm. where our bodily interaction is important. We're engaging in, in disembodied interaction here. And when people move to a setting where interaction is typically disembodied and disengaged it becomes easier and easier to believe that the body is actually a thing that's limiting me and is problematic mm -hmm. uh, and something therefore that i want to transcend i use uber a lot but you know one of the things about uber is you don't even need to speak to the guy no. anymore right. you know you just get in the car and, and and the computer tells him where you want to go now i was Personally, do try to speak to the Uber driver a, a little bit because it's kind of a human thing to do, but you don't have to. A lot of our world is moving away from the old style, uh, rough edged bodily interaction mm -hmm. to a more disembodied form. And in that kind of world, I think transgenderism becomes more plausible, becomes more plausible, becomes more it, it, it becomes uh clinically possible and it also becomes more understandable more uh more people would consider it um who i mean like thinking of this 50 years ago thinking of it 15 years ago was preposterous yeah yeah and while we're on the, the subject of the trans issue one of the things that has caught me completely off guard of course is you know when i was growing up you know the the, the time one met the occasional what we would now call a trans person. It was always a guy yes. presenting as a woman. Now, of course, it's swung dramatically the other way. Mm -hmm. The big trans issue in the West today is not men wanting to become women. It's young girls wanting to become boys. Mm -hmm. and that's an interesting phenomenon. Okay, so that, let me break in and say that the event that we're talking about is coming up Monday, June 12th. Dr. Carl Truman at the Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge. Uh, there's a free public lecture in the evening, uh, 7 to 8 p.m. But if you'd like to attend the entire day, it's a cost of $100. And you can register right now, tsm.edu slash pastoral, tsm.edu slash pastoral. I'm talking to Dr. 
Dr. Carl Truman from the Department of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College about his new book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Um, Carl, you mentioned how uh, transgenderism now largely young girls who are looking to become men. And, of course, that makes me think of the connection between that phenomenon and social media um, and this uh, this cycle that young girls have in particular. And I say that because I was one. So I, I know of what I speak. I also have uh, two daughters. And so this is something, this is a world I very, very well understand. Um, there's a very difficult time when girls are becoming women where we are consistently focused on each other. And we're trying to figure out where we stack up, you know, with our looks, with our intelligence, with our capability, with our economics, you know, what kind of clothes we wear, what kind of books we read, or perhaps in this era, what kind of TV shows we watch or games we play. Um, and that's so awkward and it's so painful. Um, and so to think of this possibility of evaluating your identity and being able to change it, being injected into it, it's just like uh, it's like a powder keg. And so that brings us back to the question of identity. Um, as we are moving from adolescence to adulthood, this word we're trying to figure out. Um, how do you see that? How do you see people, especially young girls, trying to find their place now? Yeah, it's very. Uh, it's a very interesting question, and and of course you're also, you know, by implication, I think when you think back, you know, the analog for the trans issue of today is, I think, bulimia anorexia mm, in yeah, the nineteen eighties. Sure, sure. That what you're dealing with there disproportionately affected young women and was a form of body dysmorphia. The big difference, of course, was everybody knew that was awful. And so you had the medical establishment, government agencies, everybody working hard to try to rectify that kind of situation. Fast forward to the present, the opposite is the case. Medical establishment and government have decided to to throw their weight behind this latest form of, of body dysmorphia. But to get to the question of identity, again, uh, here I think we see the problem created by the instability of the kind of disembodied communities in mm-hmm. which uh, young women operate. I make this point in class to students. So when I was uh, 15, 16, 17, I went to an all-boys school. I had four, five, six close friends. Uh, they were the people whose opinion shaped how I thought of myself. It was costly to take a pop at somebody because mm. you had to do it face to face. And you were going to have a co- serious consequence and it was going to be immediate. Yeah. yeah. In my school, you get punched in the face, you know, and it was a sort of, you know, that, that rectified the situation mm-hmm. almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so y- you have this costly embodied interaction that is actually far more stable than the kind of thing we see going on online today where, Young people have hundreds, maybe thousands of followers or friends on Facebook or Twitter, any one of whom can take a pop at them almost cost free. And it can be seriously damaging. I don't care about Twitter, but on the odd occasion, somebody brings to my attention nasty stuff said about me, even as somebody who doesn't care what they're saying about me. I feel the pinch for a few seconds. If you live online then these groups have tremendous power over how you think about yourself. And really, you, you put yourself in a position where your identity is profoundly unstable mm-hmm. and profoundly vulnerable to very cheap but very devastating attacks from other people. Dr. Carl Truman, 
the new book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, we also have Jack Gabig on uh, on a phone call here. And this event that we're talking about is coming up in June. It is the 12th. That's a Monday. Uh, if you'd like to attend the whole thing all day, uh, you can register at TSM dot edu slash pastoral um it's a hundred dollar cost for the whole day if you'd like to just attend the free event in the evening that is a public lecture uh seven to eight p.m so jack um come back on to the call here and talk to us about what you've just heard and why you think it's important that this is a discussion to be had at trinity school for ministry yeah we um sorry uh we are a school for ministry uh, and the two primary values for us are biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation. There's one story being told that God in Christ is reconciling all things to himself. And then uh, practical theology, the so what. Where do we, what does that mean about the way we live, about the way the church interacts with the world and the good news of, of God in Christ coming to us and you know, holding out uh, a kingdom so um, the implications for this is that we invite people to come and think about the world we live in. How do we, how do we form identity? How do we um, decide how to live uh, and then do the dialogical conversation with theology, historic theology and the scriptures, etc., to think about uh, how do we live in the, in the light of Christ? Uh, I think this is a really important event because what it does is it helps us to understand how we got here and the road to the future always runs through the past. Uh, so um, Dr. Dr. Truman's work is just, it's just brilliant and I think it's really helpful uh, for pastors, for um, youth pastors, campus workers, parents, teachers, educators of all sorts to understand what's playing out in front of us and how might we live differently in the light of the good news of Jesus uh, Christ. So, uh, yeah, we're pleased to uh, invite folks to join us and to think this through and uh, kind of put legs on things to make the world, um, to invite the world to think a little differently about uh, its value Mm -hmm. uh, because of the incarnation. There's just no question. So, Well, to say that we have only scratched the surface is true, um, and it's even uh, it, it doesn't even come close um, to the reality of it because there's so much to discuss here, and it's it's a it's a difficult topic um, that requires a lot of humility. Um, it also requires a lot of historical knowledge and um, a scriptural perspective. And so, I look forward to a terrific night at Trinity School for Ministry. Um, our sponsor this hour has been Trinity School for Ministry. Um, very happy, Jack Gabig, that you were able to join us today. Thank you. Jack's the yeah, director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Trinity School for Ministry. Carl Truman. Carl, thank you for taking time to talk to us today. It's a pleasure. Good to speak to you as always. That's Carl Truman. Uh, his new book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, the event coming up Monday, June 12th. Register tsm.edu. You've been listening to Bisberg. I'm your host, Kathy Emmons. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.